So, uh, praise God. I want to give you a scripture this morning concerning uh, your regular uh, tithes and offerings this morning. If you're our guest here, then you are our guest. If you, uh, if this is your church family, church home, then you know that uh, I always like to give you a scripture concerning the giving that we uh take up here at the church now i know that uh, some people don't do this anymore talking about money in church and stuff but we don't care if jesus did it if it's good enough for him it's good enough for me i'm not trying to reinvent the wheel uh if jesus did it then i believe we do it. it's a major part of your life how I many y'all like money come on don't be afraid don't come on you can say it in church how many say well i don't well i do I'm not going to lie to you. I like it, enjoy it. It affords you to have some good, wonderful things. Uh, but there's a right way you could use it, a wrong way you can use it. But the Bible says that, that he gives us all things to enjoy. So if you got some, you might as well enjoy some of it. I mean, y'all know, and uh, don't have to all go to bills. You should take a vacation. Take your wife out to dinner. Come on, you don't have to save all of it. I may be speaking to someone. Yes, all the women should be like, hey, man, buy me a ring. Why don't you? Uh, but the past couple of weeks, we've been uh, looking at Job uh, chapter 8. Job the 8th chapter says, Though your beginning is small, your latter end shall greatly increase. Though the beginning is small, God says that through a process th- that your latter end will greatly increase. So God will take you from small to large, and it's like a ladder. You climb the ladder, and you do that one step at a time. Step number one is we just looked at getting rid of the fear of finances, financial fear. So you can look at the economy or the price of gas or downturns, and it's easy to get afraid if you're balancing your checkbook, and it's not all there. Have you ever been there? I've been there, man. It's just like, man, this is very difficult. But you have to, the Bible says, to fear not. So the first thing you got to do is just refuse to fear. Say, you know what, God, you said don't be afraid, so I refuse to fear. The second step we started looking at, which was last week, and I'm going to camp here uh, again this week, is the second step is giving. Once you have purpose in your heart, I'm not going to fear financially. Then it opens up you to giving. So you don't have to be afraid to give because you know that if God takes care of the sparrows, he'll take care of me if he clothe the lilies he'll clothe me he says that he'll take care he'll supply all of your needs so i'm on the second step here which is giving but in the bible there's three different types of giving you have giving tithes giving offerings and giving alms and all of them are different distinct and they all open keys to different doors so i want to talk to you this morning about tithe what is the tithe uh give me a t i t h e right tithe right you get like one. Woo! Everybody's like. T I T E, like tide? No. That would preach, though. The Lord bring in the tide. We're not just trying to be preachy, though. Uh, so I want to talk about T-I-T-H-E. What is it? And I, I really, you could spend a lot of time here. Uh, the main thing I want to look at, though, here is uh, the two principles of the tithe. The first principle of the tithe is it is the law of first. So in other words, God, he, he refuses to be second place. He says, you can't serve any other gods except me. Honor the Sabbath. He says, I'm only first place. First, first, first. He says, it's impossible for me to be second. Everything else, he says, I am numero uno. And anytime you put him in any other place but first, he rejects that. And, and uh, because he requires first place. If you remember, the Bible says that Cain killed who? 
Y'all remember Cain and Abel, their brothers, and they both, both brought an offering to God. The Bible says that Abel brought the first and that Cain, the Bible says through a process of time, he kind of brought the leftovers or a tip. And the Bible says that God received Abel's offering, but he rejected Cain's offering. He blessed Abel. He didn't bless Cain. That made Cain mad at his brother, so he killed him. But God is a first. He wants first. So the first principle of the tithe is the first. The second principle of the, the tithe is that it's 10%. Tithe just means a tenth. And this is great news. I love the tithe uh, because it opens the door up for everybody. Now, I know whenever I say I love the tithe, people are like, well, I bet you do, preacher. But I don't love it as a preacher. I love it as a person. Because if you live in Africa or if you live in Switzerland or if you live in America, if you make $1 or if you make $1 million, the principle of that percentage opens the door up to everybody. If it was an amount, then it would leave people out. But God doesn't honor the amount. He honors that. Why? Well, because that's a partnership. Whenever you start moving in percentages, you're moving in partnership. Have you ever watched Shark Tank? I love Shark Tank. What a great movie. Probably the greatest, I mean, great television show, great television show. But whenever they're negotiating there, they say, I want 60%, I want 40%, I want 30%, 30, 70. We'll be 50, 50 what? Partners. So in percentage, then you move into partnership. So God, he says, the tithe is a tenth, and it's the first fruits. Now, I'm going to show you in Exodus chapter 13, and then we'll move on. But I want to show you the principle of... First, Exodus chapter 13, if you got your Bible, if you don't have it, we'll put it up on the screen for you until you get a Bible. If you don't have one, I'll give you one. If you have one, you just don't ever look at it, then I'm not going to help you. <laughs> Exodus chapter 13, and this is, a lot of people say, well, you know, this is the Old Testament, it's not the New Testament. Well, we'll get to the New Testament here in just a minute, but Exodus chapter 13, verse 11, it says, It shall be that when the Lord brings you into the land of Canaan, or into the promised land, into that place that he's, he's got for you, he swore it to you and to your fathers, and he'll give it to you. But he says, once you're there, he says that you're going to set apart to the Lord all that opened the womb. What's that mean? Babies. All the babies that open the womb, every firstborn that comes from an animal, cow, donkey, lamb, whenever that little lamb comes in, and it's a male, it's the firstborn, he says, this is what you're going to do to it. He says, once that, he says, all the males, those are the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. Now, what's going on here? Well, you have two different animals. One's a donkey, one's a lamb. The lamb is a clean animal that is acceptable to God. The donkey is not an, uh, not an animal that you can sacrifice to God. God doesn't want you to sacrifice a pig to him. He doesn't want you to sacrifice a donkey for him. So he says, listen, if your donkey has a baby, how's the donkey sound? Uh-uh. If 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 he has if he has a, a donkey, he says you have to. If you want to keep that donkey, then you have to kill a clean animal or a lamb to pay for that donkey. Let's see if he says. But if you do not redeem it, look at verse thirteen. He says you got to break its neck. Jeez Louise, what kind of Lord are we serving here? So he says, listen, if you have an unclean animal as a has a baby. And you don't want that baby. Either way, he says, the first of every animal, it's mine. Whether it's clean, whether it's unclean, whether it's a lamb, a donkey, a cow, or a pigeon. Any increase that you have, he says, the first one, it's mine. Boom. 
Now, verse 14, he says, And so shall it be when your son asks you in time to come, saying, what is this? What's that mean? Well, you can imagine. Let's just all put our imagination on. Everybody's gathering around because the lamb's about to have a baby. And out comes that baby lamb. How many of y'all think it'd be cute? Oh, it'd be so cute. Oh, look how cute. And it stands up and his little legs would wobble. And everybody go, oh, look at the lamb. It's so cute. And then the head of the household, whether it's a dad or if it's a widow or whoever, would go over, take that lamb and kill it, cut its throat. Now, your kids are going to have some questions. And he says right here, he says, your kids are going to want to know, why did you just kill that animal? Why did you do that? It was a beautiful baby, little cute. And he says, and he says it may be when that kid is seven. Like I have a six-year-old. And if I did that to my daughter's firstborn bunny, she would have some questions. If we were watching bunny have babies and the first bunny that came out, whoosh, <laughs> you're a horrible father. I mean, can you imagine the questions that would arise? And he knew that. If a donkey comes out and he's like, oh, yeah break his neck your kids are going to want to know what is going on now let's think if it's a 27 year old kid in business with his daddy and his daddy kills a hundred sheep a year that business boy that's 27 years old he's going to want to know daddy why are you doing that you're costing us money a little kid's going to be going daddy why are you doing that you're cruel and unusual and mean and he tells you verse 14 he says when your son asks, when the time has come, saying, what is this? He tells you what to tell him. He says, you'll say to them, by the strength of the hand of the Lord, he brought us out. I've had this conversation with my accountant, and I've had this conversation with my son. Because my son will see me write a check, or he'll see me put money in the offering, and he wants to know why... Are you doing that? And that's an opportunity for me to say, the reason I give a tenth or a tithe, the reason I give God the first is because he brought me out. If it weren't for him, where would I be? I'd be in jail. I'd probably tell you right now, I'd be dead, dead as a doornail. If it wasn't for him, he brought me out. It's my joy, my honor, my privilege to give him the best and the first. Now let's fast forward to Jesus. Jesus in the New Testament God sent Jesus, the lamb that was slain. Jesus was perfect, and yet God sent his first. He sent his best as a tithe. And the death of Jesus redeemed the unclean. You and I, we're the donkeys. We're the asses. Let's just be frank. We're the donkeys. And yet Jesus, God sent his very best. He sent his very best to die for us. Why? To redeem us. He redeems our life from destruction. He crowns us with loving kindness and tender mercies. Oh man, we could really get to preaching here. Jesus was God's tithe. He said, I'm going to give up my first, give up my best to redeem all of the people that are they're unclean. But praise God, by the blood of Jesus, we are clean. Because of that blood, we are 
clean. So these are teaching things where you have to sit down with your kids or your business partner, your associates or whatever. They say, man, why do you do that? Why do you do that? Why do you do that? You say, if it weren't for him. And that's just one reason. How many of y'all know there's a hundred reasons? The Bible says bring all the tithes in the storehouse so that there'll be meat in my house. In other words, he says so that my house has provision. You can turn on the lights and turn on the faucet and flush the toilets. There's lots of reasons why we do it. There's lots of benefits why we do it. But here I wanted to show you, number one, it's the, it's the first. Number two, it's a tenth. That's what it is. So next week we'll get into alms and offering. But the, listen, this is just the facts. This is just the way it is. And some of this I may, it, you may not. Oh, well. This, la- this, this step right here is really three steps. And, and I have one step, and it's called giving. But if you broke that step into tithes, offerings, and giving, I had to go through tithes first because you can't just jump up to giving to the poor or jump up to offerings without going through the first because God says I'll never be second place I can't be second he says I have to be first and, and, and Malachi chapter 3 says will a man rob God and they say well how do we rob you God he says you rob me in tithes and in offerings in other words the Bible says that the tithe is holy it belongs to him so you're not giving him anything you're just giving him what he already owns so I had to take you through the tithe before I could take you through the rest let's pray this morning thank you Father God that, that you're good and you're wonderful and you were willing to give up your only begotten son and and that that us as believers that we're redeemed even though we were unclean we're made clean because you were willing to give that sacrifice i thank you lord that there's lots of blessings and benefits to the tithe but as we grow in understanding and we step out in faith then i thank you lord that you're faithful and true and just to meet us with every need that we have. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Right on, right on. Uh, we're going to uh, get into the word this morning. I'm, I'm talking, going to be speaking a little bit to the graduates. I have a few graduates here. But uh, really for anybody, uh, I, I want to look at this premise this morning. There's actually a book. Uh, Carl, Jerry's wife, gave me a book called Who's Holding Your Ladder. I'm going to pull a little bit out of that ladder uh, book. But also just my own uh, little bit of... Uh, I guess, interpretation and things that I've seen or found uh, over the past uh, years starting the church, but then just in my own life. But before we get into the Word this morning, let's pray together and uh, just set our attention upon the Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you said to set our attention upon you, and that's something that we have to do. So we consciously set our attention, our expectation, our faith in you and on you for the next few minutes. God, that you said that whenever we put the Word of God in our heart, that it's possible for it to bear 30, 60, and 100 fold. But whenever that Word is put into our heart that we have to guard it we have to allow it to take root we have to be a doer of it knowing that the enemy comes to steal it and weeds try to choke it but if we'll keep our heart right and open this morning that you're wanting to bring us to a place of increase 30 60 and 100 fold so we put our attention all of our attention all of our affection upon you Holy Spirit we welcome you and ask for your guidance your understanding I pray for every person here to have a spirit of wisdom and understanding that you enlighten the eyes of their heart to know what you've called them to do. In Jesus' name, everybody said, praise God. Uh, You know, we've got a few graduates. How many of y'all remember what it was like to graduate? Some of you are like, well, I don't. (laughs) Not me. No problemo. Uh, If if not from that, you'll, you'll graduate from 
something. But all of us know, you know, what it's like, I guess, uh, to walk across an aisle or get some type of certificate or some type of diploma or some uh, promotion or something at work. All of us have experienced that or will experience that. And there's lots of different levels and lots of different uh, ways to climb, I guess, lots of ladders. Uh, I have here kind of scattered out some different ladders. I remember myself graduating. You want me to move this, Marley, so you don't have to look through the ladder? Uh, I remember graduating uh, high school, and uh, the, the world was my oyster. How many of you remember that? you just like, man, anything's possible. I'm out of here. I'm leaving. I'm leaving home. I'm going all out into the great wide open spaces. Freedom is before me. No chains bind me. Oh, I can do anything. Oh, if I just had some money. And then you call your parents. You're like, I can't do nothing. I'm broke. Send me some money. I need, can't get McDonald's. I can't do anything. And uh, you realize real quick uh, that, that life requires people. Life requires other people to help you. You can have great vision. You can have a a great path and a great plan. And you can be a dreamer and and a pursuer. But without people, uh, you're not going to get very far. So I really only have one point today. If you've got a bulletin today, there's really only one point. I don't have like nine points or no poems. There's no psalms. I really don't have a whole bunch of stuff for you. If you could just get this one thing this morning then then it then you you'll get a long way you'll you'll be helped this morning the one point is is that uh the greatest decision that you'll make while on this planet one of the greatest and you know obviously serving the lord and all that but but the the greatest natural decision that you ever make on this planet are the people that you choose to attach yourself to and the people uh that you allow to attach themselves to you because you have choices as to who you're going to join yourself with who you're going to partner with who you're going to hang out with uh, who you're going to associate with and, and and who you're going to cling to and then you have choices and to who you're going to allow to do that for you uh, it's no secret if you've been here very much that I like television I told you this a couple of weeks ago I enjoy television and, and one of the shows that I really liked but it, you know I don't like crazy whatever drama and comedy and all that I like the learning learning type television where you feel like I'm smarter now because I watched that not I'm dumber now because I watched that so some of the shows they like dumb you down you know you're like I feel ignorant uh, but the shows that I like whenever you get done with them you're just like I'm pretty intelligent because I just spent an hour watching that. But there was a couple of years ago they had that climbing Mount Everest. Did anybody watch that? Is anybody like me, a nerd? You like that, Josh? And you're from Florida. What a shame. Uh, uh, He's from Florida. Uh, But this show, Climbing Mount Everest, I I just love tuning in every week uh, to watch this because it's showing this group of people trying to conquer this mountain. And if you know anything about Everest, there's actually 14 mountains that are uh, higher than 24,000 feet. There's some people that their goal is to climb all 14 
peaks that are above 8,000 meters. But in the history of our planet, there's only been 15 people to ever conquer all of those mountains. Many people have died. You understand, 4,000 people have climbed Everest. About 10%, 400 people have died trying to climb Everest. And then countless tens and tens of thousands of people have tried and didn't even make it past base camp number one, two, or three. Because as you're climbing Everest, you have to acclimate to the temperature. The number one killer on Everest is uh, altitude sickness. Your body uh, on, El- on Everest only gets about 60% of the oxygen that it needs. So you're breathing 40% less oxygen. So it may take you three months to climb Everest. It may take you uh, uh, two months. But basically, you're going to try to get to camp uh, base camp one and you're going to hang out there for a couple weeks and you're going to walk around and you're going to allow your body to adjust and then you're going to go to base camp two you're going to hang out there for a couple of weeks and then at base camp three you're going to stay there for over a month at least and you just lay in your tent and you're trying to condition your body to make the final ascent the last push is where you're trying to get up there and in the process many people die if you would watch this show you know they they would literally they'd have their carabiner on a rope and they're going up and they're between uh, step two and step three they're actually called steps believe it or not so in between two there you'll see people that are dead and they just they they take their carabiner they step over that guy and they keep going they may go another 20 feet they step over that guy and then they keep going all along the way because they don't get them down i'm doing good to get my butt down you think i'm carrying no sir uh I'm trying not to die here. I'm not carrying you down. Sorry. I mean, you knew what you were getting into. You know, even if you do make it down, like the first person to ever climb Everett, uh, Everest, him and his Sherpa, they lost 19 toes trying to get up Everest and back down. That's a pretty good sacrifice. I mean, 19 toes to frostbite. They just turn black and they literally freeze off, basically. You don't feel them because it's just so cold. Uh so there's tremendous sacrifice and effort. You can't breathe. I mean, it's, it's amazing. It's crazy that these people are doing this, trying to get this from this place up to another step, up to another step, up to another step. But the reality of the situation is, is that no person can do Everest. I shouldn't say no person. But there are these people called Sherpas. You might know what a Sherpa is. The Sherpas are the, the people that live in Nepal. In other words, they live at Mount Everest. So they are acclimated and they were born into this environment. A Sherpa has 10 more genes genetically built into them to survive that place, that climb. Genetically, it's in their DNA. And they're little bitty people. Come on, me, I know you don't have to be big to be bad. All my little people, give me an amen. Come on, you don't have to be big to be bad. That's why. That's what I tell myself every day. <laughs> Look in the mirror and I give myself three goods. You don't have to be big to be bad. And I stand on my toes. Then I flex. It's awesome. I leg flex. <laughs> I mean, I've never seen people leg flex. <laughs> Just like, what are you doing? Stretching. <laughs> We'll stop. You're scaring all of us. So you don't have to be big to be bad because you have these Sherpas and they're tiny little people. And yet, if it were not for them, these guys would not climb Everest. Because the Sherpa's job is to keep you alive. 
you're trying to go from one step to the next step and you're trying to just put one foot in front of the other. Literally, and this is no joke, it'll take them two hours to take 80 steps because they'll take one step, two step, three step, four step. They count it off. They'll take five steps and then they sit down and take a break. Got to take a break. That's how totally, utterly exhausted they are. So it'll take literally hours to get from here out to the parking lot just to try and make it. But the Sherpa, because he is who he is, he is there to keep that person, whoever he's assigned to, he's there to keep them alive. And if you look at the Sherpa, because I I watched a different documentary one time and it was a whole hour on the life of a Sherpa. Sherpa's a little bitty guy, but, but he's hired by these individuals he puts this huge like 150 pound backpack on his back and it has all of the supplies the tent the pots the pans the food everything that's needed for that guy to get up that mountain the sherpa is the one that's carrying it the westerner the person that's actually the climbing he doesn't have to carry that load the sherpa hooks all of the ropes up the sherpa sets up all the ladders and holds him as he's walking across the ladder. The Sherpa makes his breakfast, pitches his tent, takes things down, and, and, and everywhere that guy goes, if it weren't for the Sherpa, he totally would not make it. Big goal, big lofty goal, something he's trying to accomplish, and yet he's dependent upon this little guy. They'll take a huge basket like this and put 50-gallon drums full of food because you've got to stay up there for three months. And he'll have a headband that goes around his head, goes over his shoulders, and it's holding this big, giant thing. And while these Westerners are just trying to put one step in front of the other, the Sherpa carrying an extra 150 pounds, a little bitty person, he is just trucking up there. Those guys are 100% dependent upon those individuals. Now, let's, let's bring it westernized. Because most of you probably are not going to try to climb Everest. Anybody interested in it? Anybody? You, you are? Well, get good socks. If you want them toes, I'd get some good socks. Now they got those little heaters that you shake up. Stick them on your feet. You may want to get some. They'll help you. But most of us here understand ladders. I have different ladders set up here because for me, graduating, you know, I think that I just want to take the world or take the mountain. Or in business, you just want to take the world or take the mountain. In marriage, you think, this is going to be awesome. Stick around. Kids, you think, I want 12. No, you don't. No, sir, you don't. So you can have these, these, you want to climb this big ladder. You have big goals. But there comes a point in every person's life where you realize that the higher you go, the, the more pertinent it is for you to have somebody holding that ladder. Because you can have all the vision, all the dream, and you can even actually have a plan. I'm going to take this step to that step to this step to that step. But there comes a point in all of our lives where the most important person is not the person on the ladder. It's the person holding the ladder. The most important person in your life is the people that are holding that ladder for you. Why? Well, because let's just look. We have different ladders here. I'll just tell you this little story. I got my behind uh, in, a, in a jam. How many of you have ever get, been in a jam before? 
I got in a jam a couple of maybe two months ago. I got stuck on my roof. Probably shouldn't tell you this. It may blow your image of me. Uh, all my bravado may just like, woo. Uh, I got stuck on my roof of my home for about an hour. It was really, it was hot. Have you ever been stuck on an asphalt roof? But it's hot up there. But I'm driving down my driveway, and my house has hips and valleys. And within the hips and valleys, leaves over the process of a year or two just started to pile up. Pile up. And a few leaves wouldn't hurt you, but a few more leaves, and a few more leaves, and a few more leaves. And the rain gets the leaves all wet. And now you have a nasty ball. And if you don't deal with that, if you don't remove that out of there, eventually it's going to rot your roof. So it may take a year, it may take two years, it may take five years, but this stuff just piles up, you know, kind of like sin. A little bit here, a little bit there, but it'll pile up. If you don't deal with it, it's going to cause you a problem. So I'm driving down my driveway and I see this stuff piled up and I think, well, I've got to get up there and deal with it. So I got an extension ladder about like that. I ran it up maybe about 20, 20 feet or so and I climb up onto uh, my roof and uh, I'm about to get off onto my roof and I'm wearing boots, which that tells you that's a bad idea. Shouldn't be wearing like cowboy boots if you're going to climb on a roof. But I'm climbing and I get off. And once I get off on there, the, the, the roof is, forced, is too steep for me to stand. What's the pitch on my roof, Keith? So I got a 12 on 12, which means my roof is really, really vertical. You can tell where this is going. Uh, so I climb off on there and I realize I'm not going to make it. So I grab hold to another part of my roof and I do a pull up with all of my muscles. Yeah, flex. And I get up there and I swing my little behind up over. And now I'm on the roof. I clean the roof. But I realize I can't get down. Can't get down because if I try to get down, I'm going to slide. And because nobody's holding my ladder right there, I'm going to hit the top of the ladder. The top of the ladder is going to go over and then I'm going to go over with it. And uh, it's going to be bad. So now I have to figure out, well, what do I do? So I thought, well, I'll call my neighbor. I thought, well, I'm not calling my neighbor. This is humiliating. I refuse to call my neighbor. So I thought, well, I'm going to call my wife. I thought, well, I'm not calling her either. Well, I might call her. But I didn't have people to call. And then after I sat there for about 30 minutes, uh, it's getting really hot. So then I started calling people. But nobody was home. <laughs> so my neighbor wasn't home. My other neighbor wasn't home. Uh, so nobody, nope, my wife wouldn't answer her phone. Anybody got a wife like that? Uh, call like 900 times. I'm in a jam. You want to answer your phone? Won't answer your phone? Won't answer your phone? So finally, I just kind of had to go for it. So uh, I... I swing my, you know, y'all would have liked to have seen this. So I swing, I swing my behind and I'm hanging like this on the side of the ladder and I've got my feet and I'm trying to find the ladder. I'm trying to find the ladder. Long story short, I finally get down, but I'm all skin up. Elizabeth's like, what happened, babe? <laughs> you know, what happened, babe? I'm like, you aren't here. So then, you know, now you got to go into like giving her the elbow. You weren't here. What are you talking about? I'm all skin up because of you. If you would have been here to hold my ladder, then I wouldn't have had this problem. I wouldn't have been in a bind. And it's true. If I would have had her there or somebody there to hold that ladder, then it wouldn't be an issue. But any of y'all know some ladders you don't need anybody to hold you. See that little ladder right there? That ladder right there requires no skill. 
right? If you, if you, if you have a wooden leg, uh, it's the, only, the only way that that ladder, it, that, that requires no skill, right? No effort, but it's only going to get you so high. The next ladder, this little ladder here, it may require a little bit more skill. But again, most people are going to be able to climb this ladder pretty good, right? And the only time it's going to get f- weird. Now, I ain't going any higher. I'll go one more. Now, if I were to... You going to catch me? <laughs> he says no. <laughs> now, if I were to get on the top of that thing... That's, a, that's what, a six-foot ladder right there. Now, if I got on that bigger ladder, there comes a point, whether, whether you're climbing in business or whether you're in ministry or whether uh, you're in a relationship, there comes a point to where it's not just uh, my own effort or ability and it's not just this actual platform to get me up higher there comes a point to where it becomes really important that the person down there holding the ladder is real let's let's just say what kind of person would you like if i if you were up at the top of that thing up there uh mike are you gonna want a little bitty person holding that ladder no are you gonna want a child holding that ladder No, are you going to want somebody on an iPhone holding that ladder? A big old huge guy He's just like, candy crush. (laughs) No. No, the the higher you go, right, the more dependent you are. Why are we talking about all this? Well, I mean, as a graduate, I remember leaving thinking that I was free, but it wasn't long until I started to attach myself to the wrong people. And the people that were holding my ladder and that were uh, pushing me to go higher and that were taking care of me were the ones that I separated from and I started gravitating to other people that really weren't qualified and weren't interested in me reaching my goals or going higher so you have to find people whether you're a teenager or whether you're in business i mean i don't know if you're in business you're only as good as the person that's working for you come on as a pastor i'm only as good as the person uh letting people in the door I, you know, preaching can be good, the music can be good, but if the guy in the parking lot is a jerk, then it messes everything up on the inside. So it doesn't matter how much I study or how awesome the worship is, I have to have certain people in my life that are there to hold the ladder. In relationships, uh, I'm glad I got a good ladder holder. My wife's strong. Not just physically, although she is physically, she'll, she'll hurt you. She is hard. I'm like, babe, really? Seriously? I barely like pinched you. Like, ooh, you're pretty. Ooh. She's like, (laughs) leave a mark. So she is strong, but for me, she's my number one. That person that, that, that's holding that ladder and letting me get as, far, as high and, and reach as far as I can. It, it comes to a point to where she's more important than, than I am. So, so whenever you're looking for friends or you're looking for a spouse, you're looking for a girlfriend or a boyfriend, if you're a, if you're a young person, you're not just looking for anybody. Can I get an Amen. You're not just looking to settle. You know, if I'm climbing that ladder, like I thought about climbing up there, but I'm not. Uh, 
if I got all the way up to the top of that thing, there's certain qualities that, that, that you and I would be looking for. And let me read, let's just read, let's just read a couple of scriptures here before I get too far gone and run out of time and not even get into the B-I-B-L-E. I want to look at First Chronicles chapter 10. And uh, we're going to look at Saul. There's a guy named Saul. He was the first king of Israel. The reason he was chosen king of Israel is the Bible says that whenever he would walk into the room, he was head and shoulders above everyone else. So he was a foot taller than everybody else. And I'm sure he was built, right? You know what I mean? He's, he looks like a king. He's probably got flowing hair. And the ladies fan themselves when he walks by, right? I mean, this is King Saul. And he just naturally, he looks like a king. And he was a king. God made him a king. The Bible says that Samuel took a horn of oil and dumped it on, on his head. And that oil or, or the anointing to be king came upon him. And he became a great warrior. Not because of his strength or because of his good looks. But because he was in right relationship with the right people. And the anointing of God flowed on him and through him. And when people messed with him, if he was in battle, they died. But there came a point that he began to leave those right relationships. And the Bible says that he died. In, in 1 Chronicles chapter 9, you're going to look at uh, verse number 13. It says, so Saul died. Why did Saul die? He was anointed by God. He was strong and good looking. What, why, why did he die? It says that he died for his unfaithfulness to, for which he had committed against the Lord so he started attaching himself to other people and not attaching himself to God the next thing it says and it says the second thing he did is he says he did not keep the word of the Lord it compromised his life his destiny and his altitude Always in the Bible, we have God saying, come up higher, come up higher. Moses went up the mountain. Psalms chapter 24 says, who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? He that has clean hands and a pure heart. God's always wanting us to go higher and he's always giving us the steps to get up there and he'll bring the right people. But he says here, he says he committed against the Lord uh, unfaithfulness. He didn't keep the word of the Lord and he began to consult with a medium for guidance. What's a medium? A soothsayer a fortune teller a palm reader he started looking to divination or people he started looking to other spirits instead of the spirit of God because he liked their answers better how many of you have ever liked other people's answers better the Lord will tell you you need to do this and you're like next can you give me a little help here next and you're looking for another answer other than the word of the Lord other than from him, and the Bible says that it cost Saul his life because he was looking for guidance. Now, the person I want to look at is David. Because Saul started being around the right people. He climbed a great ascent. He became the king of Israel. Then he started messing around with the wrong people, and it brought him down. And now the next king is who? Does anybody know the next king? King David. And King David, I like King David's men. Has anybody ever read about King David's mighty men? King David's mighty men. Let's just look right here. And then I'm going to finish my little story. And then I'll let you go. The mighty men of 1 Chronicles chapter 11. It says, verse number 10. It says, now these were the heads of the mighty men who David had. Now David was a beast. 
David killed a lion and a bear with nothing. He didn't kill it with like a 308 or a 50 cal. He killed it with nothing. Killed a lion, killed a bear, and killed a giant with some rocks. So David, and the Bible says that David killed tens of thousands of people all by himself. So he was no chump. Right, David, but David knew even though he was amazing and he was anointed and he had the power of God working in him and through him, even though he had all that, he recognized, I can't do this by myself. I'm going to need some help. I'm gonna, I have vision and I have a plan, but I'm going to need somebody to help me. Listen, if you're starting a business or if you own a business or if you're starting a relationship, lots of times we want to stay on this little ladder. But the only person that doesn't need help on the little ladder is, is the person that does need help is who? A baby. Right? If I were to put an adult on that ladder, you don't need any skill or any help. But if I were to put a one-year-old on that ladder, you say, well, that one-year-old, they could fall. They could get hurt. Why? Because they, they aren't mature. They aren't old enough. But God doesn't want us to stay little or stay small. He wants us to start on little ladders, mature, get strong, get understanding. And then he wants us to move to other ladders. And David understood that. But David also knew he said it's going to take some people. It's going to take more people. So he had heads of the mighty men who David had they strengthened themselves with him and his kingdom with all Israel and they made him king according to the word of the Lord concerning Israel and this is the number of the mighty men who David had and it starts to list them Jashobim the son of this guy chief of the captains he had lifted up his spear up against 300 men and he killed them all at one time have you ever killed 300 people in one fight me neither after him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo. I mean, I'm glad your dad's not Dodo. It's like the worst name in the Bible. Maybe it's just me. My dad's name was Kip, and I always thought that was bad. It's like, it ain't Dodo. Dodo is horrible. But Eleazar, he was bad. He said, you have a complex if your dad's name is Dodo. Just for him to make it successfully out of adulthood and not be the son of Dodo is quite a feat. But he didn't just graduate son of Dodo. He actually did some things that were pretty, pretty remarkable. He was the chief of captains. Uh, I'm sorry. He says he was, he was one of the three mighty men. He was with David at this particular city. And now that the Philistines were gathered for battle, there was a piece of ground full of barley. So the people all fred from the Philistines, but they stationed themselves in the middle of that field. He defended it and killed the Philistines. So the Lord brought about a great victory. What's that mean? He just stood in a field because he didn't want them to steal his produce. And he just kept killing them and as, far, as long as they kept came in. Now the three of the 30 chief men went down to the rock with David into a cave of Abdullah. And the army of the Philistines encamped in the valley of Repham. And David was then in the stronghold of the garrison of the Philistines was with them in Bethlehem. And David was with longing. Oh, that someone would give me a drink of water from the well of Bethlehem, which is the gate. Now, let, let, just, give me, just give me three more minutes. Hang on, give me three more minutes. Here it says David had some mighty men. Now, we know that David had 400 men in the cave of Abdullah. Here it says that he had 30 men. And then out of the 30, he had three men. So he had a whole group of men. But then he had 30 that were more committed. And then he had three that were his top dog honchos. 
These were the ones that were willing to die for David. Because right here, he goes into a place and he just makes a suggestion. He says, man, I wish I had something to drink from that well over there. And the Bible says that his three baddest men broke through the Philistines all by themselves. You understand there's thousands of Philistines there. They break through all three just to get David a cup of water. And they bring that cup to to, to David, but this is why David was easy to serve. They give that cup of water to David, and the Bible says that David pours it out because he didn't want to, to, he says, I can't drink this water. Y'all just tried to give up your life to bring me this water. It's not right for me to drink this. So the Bible says that he poured it out before those men. I mean, if if you're those men, you're like, you better drink it. Almost got my leg cut off, my arm cut off, my head cut off. You better drink it. David said, I can't, I can't drink it because you risk your life for me. What's the point? Listen, for all of us, we have, we have big groups of people. But then we have smaller groups of people that are really committed to us. But then you always should be looking for about these three core people. Three, listen, if you're a graduate going off to college, these would be your parents. They're really the only ones that will die for you. They're, they're the ones that will give up a life, a limb, a lung. They'll give up anything for you to make it to the next step, to the next step, to the next step, to the next step, to the next step. They're there 150% committed. Come on, I'm going to, uh, you know, uh, Jacob there graduate. His folks are more, they're, they're totally committed. They'll give up anything for him to succeed and be successful in life. But, but Jacob's also got to be watching out for the other 30. Are these 30 the ones that are holding my ladder, helping me get to where I need to get? Or are these the people that are shaking my ladder? Woo, woo. How many of you ever have friends like that? You want to kick them in the face, don't you? In the last church that I worked at, we had a lift that would take you about 50 feet up in the air. And well, sometimes whenever I would get up there, they would unplug the lift or they would shake the lift. Well, your little behind is eating your pants. You're just like, whoa. Well, why? Well, because you're way up there, and they're totally messing with you, man. They're really, they're really ribbing you. So whenever you get in situations like that, you know, you know, Jacob or Tatiana, any person, even in business, you're looking. You, you have a crowd of people, maybe your customers, but but you're also looking for these people, and then you're looking for who's my core, who are the ones that are totally committed, who are the ones that are for me, who are the ones that'll die. For me, that's the ones that I have to consider the most. So my question, what I want to leave you with uh, this morning is, uh, n- number one, who, who's, who's holding your ladder? Do you have one person? Do you have two people? Do you have three people? Do you have anybody? Who is it that is committed to holding you so that you can get higher then the other question is is whose ladder are you holding who can you say can you honestly say that i am helping that i'm pushing that i'm encouraging that i am attentive to that i'm not you know like sure sure i'm watching whose ladder 
are, are you holding? Who, who's the person that you're committed to help them get to the next spot? Because those are really your two assignments. God wants you. He's always saying, come up, come up, come up. But he's also wanting you to help other people. Get up, get up, get up. And if you can't locate or find those two parts of your life, then it's something to consider. It's something to look at and try and find out whose ladder am I holding? Who's holding my ladder? I have to close this morning. I'd like to pray. I want to pray for her, though. Tatiana, will you come uh, down here? And Jacob, I want to pray. Is there any other graduates here that are here? Even if you say, I don't want to go to church here. I'm scared. Uh, I'm not going to do anything weird or crazy. But if you are a graduate, I would like, like to pray for you for the next step, next phase of your life. Uh, I want to pray for you. So... Everybody stand up on your feet. Uh, we're going to stretch out our hands towards these two. I know uh, Tatiana's going, I think, to New Orleans. She won't be leaving for a few months. So these guys are going off to college. And uh, we'll pray for them. Uh, the Bible says to stir up the gift of God. Here, just come right here, guys. Just come right here. You can face me. The Bible says to stir up the gift of God that is on you by the laying on of hands. So I'm going to pray for you. Pray for God to stir up the gift of God in you. And then the second thing I want to pray for is for right relationship. Thank God for Shadrach, me. And Abednego. How many of remember those boys? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego raised as Christians and then taken out, not Christians, but raised as godly people, taken out of a godly environment and thrown into a very worldly environment. And if it wasn't for their own faith in God, but then each other, there wasn't just one of them, there was three of them. All three of those boys, David, he wasn't alone. He had three mighty men that were with him. So I'm praying for you guys to have some Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's. Because you're being taken out of one environment, put into a totally another environment. And I know you got all the good stuff on the inside, but I want to pray for people on the outside to come as well.